from the shepherd's fold But I'll keep my focus right on Jesus Set my sights on home I can get distracted Cause the fact is This ain't where I yeah, 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 Trey, we've heard that before. You've said you don't belong, but Herschel belongs here, and he is here today. And guess what, Herschel? It's a brand new year. It's Pod Me, and this is the interview series. Man, I'm excited to be back this year, and uh, I'm certainly glad that you're here, Herschel, for our January interview. I have a wonderful treat for you. It's a pastor friend of mine that I met several years ago. It is Pastor John Isaacs from Elba, Alabama. He pastors Grace Fellowship Holiness Church, and I'm absolutely honored that you agreed to be on this church cast, Brother John. Hey, it's an honor. I'm very thankful that uh, you give me the opportunity to come on. I love the podcast. Well, well, thank you for that compliment, and uh, I'm just tickled to death. I know what you were waiting on. Uh, this, I'll say it. This is my first interview on a real podcast. Let me say that. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, I did not put him up to that. Yeah, Brother John Isaacs has been on the Pentecast podcast. If you want to go hear that, it's back in the archive somewhere, but it's worth listening to. I did, and it bettered me, so that's why we had him on today. So our first meeting uh, was back at the Pentecostal Fire Youth Conference back in 2012. Man, how old was I back in 2012? This year, that'll make 10 years ago. See, I can do I can do math too. I'm multi talented, and uh, you were doing something there. You had a task there that I don't think I want. You were tag team preaching. We've covered all aspects of the ministry here on Pod Me, but I don't think we've ever covered tag team preaching. First of all, what is tag team preaching? Well, in in that particular setting, um, I was paired up with Zane Estes, who at the time I I really didn't know very well. Uh, We got involved in missions work together later. Right. But we were given an assignment and given an an amount of time and then basically just figure it out, (laughs) you know. So, yeah, I mean, it was a daunting task for me because Zane is so technical and intelligent. He's you know, he's like Eugene Meltzner and I'm like, Wooten. so, um, it, it was, yeah, it was tough, but I felt like it went well. I really do. I feel like, yeah, it was outstanding. Well, I, I do. I feel like it, it worked out. It was very, very good. Also, as we've covered on the podcast plenty of times, especially in this interview series, I've wanted folks to be able to get a glimpse of my life behind the scenes, getting to know preacher friends of mine better and their families or someone that's got a special testimony. And we are also often prone to look at someone from behind the pulpit and think, well, they've always been familiar with church or always been involved. And many times only to find out that God did a miraculous work in someone's life that maybe other people would have had thoughts that, you know, they were an unlikely candidate to be used by God. And I wanted you to share some of your personal testimony as much or as little as you want to Tell us, first of all, how you came to faith in Christ. Most of my growing up years, we we were not church-going people. I think my parents 
they were saved when I was about 14. Uh, but before that, we were just average center folks. I was raised in a neighborhood and all of the dads were pretty much the same. We did the same types of things on the weekend and, you know, it involved alcohol and gambling, things of that nature. It's just that was the way that our neighborhood was structured. Right. It was kind of around the weekend activities. My parents were wonderful people, and I'm very thankful for how I was raised, even sure. though we weren't church-going people. You know, I know a lot of my friends had things to deal with that I didn't have to deal with, and I'm thankful for that my parents had enough morality, I guess you would say, about them. They didn't get involved in some of the things. And, you know, we would go to church on Easter. We would go to church on during the Christmas play uh, special events. But my dad got saved when he was, well, I, I don't know his age, but I was about 14 and he got delivered and just completely his life changed. And at that time, I wasn't really, I wasn't even interested. I, I wasn't thinking about salvation or anything like that. I was, I was living headlong into sin. But an interesting thing happened. I met the youth group from the church. And it was a pretty large church. Uh, I was raised in Indiana. Okay. I met the youth group. I liked what they did. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to give anybody else's testimony, but in many ways, the youth group of the church at that time was worse than the friends that I'd been running with. Huh? Yeah. I, I don't really want to go into anybody else's testimony here, but sure, the things we would do as a youth group, I mean, it was, it was things the world would do. So I, I thought, well, this is great, you know, go to church, get dad off my back and hang out with the church kids. And man, everything's wonderful. And so it went that way for probably at least a year before there was a change. And the change was we had a new youth pastor and youth pastor's wife, Brother Brian, Sister Carolita Heisel. I think they're in Ohio now. They came and I knew immediately, all, all of our youth knew immediately things were going to be different. Brother Brian, Sister Carolita were fun-loving people, but you know they had an emphasis on prayer and they emphasized right living and Many of the things that we were just accustomed to doing on the weekends, they were very vocal about how sinful those things were. And so we determined we weren't saved. We determined to run them off. And for the next year, we did everything we could to make their life miserable to get rid of them. One thing I remember in particular is I would be the sometimes the designated reader for Sunday school. Brother Brian would go around and ask different ones to read. And when it was my time, I would deliberately try to aggravate him. I would read as slow as possible, mispronounce words. I was a smart aleck and he never lost his cool. I could tell he, he you know, he'd probably like to wring my neck, but <laughs> yes. he, he would just stand there and just look at me. And I thought it was funny. I was the class clown. Well, that went on for a whole year. And, you know, by the end of that year, we were coming to their house for activities. We were doing youth group things at their home. But I also remember times during that, that they would plan a big event and, you know, Hey, we're going to, as a youth group, we're going to go here. And at the last minute, we would come up with something else to do and talk the whole youth group into going so that there were maybe three or four people show up at their event and the rest of us would go to the lake or something. Just terrible how we did them. But everything changed in July, 1995. That was the year, I think we'd went the year before, but that, that was the second year we went to a little youth camp out in the middle of nowhere, Missouri, that we hated because there was no activities, no organized sports, 
It was it was Mountain View, Missouri Youth Camp. It was primitive. There was no AC. Yes. We hated it. Brian was insistent. That's where the youth group's going. I had made up my mind. I'm not going to go. I'm just not going to go. It was miserable last year. And literally, uh, because I, I wanted to hang out with the youth group the night before youth camp, they literally drug me on the bus. Uh, I know like Jeremy Isaacs, I think he's from Richmond, Indiana now. And Kane Hari was involved. There was different ones. They sat on me and held me on the bus until it was time to go. I mean, you know, my bags are packed. Wow. I, you know, I, I was going to go, but then last minute I just decided I'm not going to go. So here we go. We're on our way. One of us had a duffel bag full of country music tapes and, and we were just, we were going to make the best of it, but we were not interested in changing or getting saved. And the whole ride there, it, it you know, all of our Walkmans, which young folks don't know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were all listening to country music and rock music. Well, we get there on Monday night, July the 10th, 1995. I really don't even, I'm, I do remember what the preacher preached, but the first part of it, I couldn't tell you. At some point during the message, the Holy Ghost fell in that service. I was literally falling asleep. I'd been up pretty much all night the night before. Right. Drug on the bus at four o'clock in the morning and then the bus left before dark and we drove 10, 12 hours. I was so tired. I, I slept through the service and the first part of the message. But when the Holy Ghost fell, that was the first time in my life I remember feeling the Holy, the, the power of God, the Holy Ghost moving in, on me. And I felt drawn to the altar. And then this argument started in my mind. You know, you know, all of your friends at home would not approve if you go to the altar, if you get saved and, and you become like your youth pastor, you're going to become just old fogey and nobody is going to want to hang out with you. You got too much going for you. But that argument didn't last very long. And I stepped out and I don't even remember what happened from there. I, I was saved. My life was instantly changed. I remember stepping out. It was 114 degrees that night. It was an outdoor tabernacle. I remember stepping out under the, the tabernacle roof and looking up into the stars. And the thought hit me that for the first time in my life, I had true peace. I didn't even know what peace felt like my until that very moment. And everything changed. I looked around, you know, there was probably 60 young people in, that went on the bus and, and the van that year, and almost all of them walked their their way to the altar that night and, and got saved. Praise God. A good majority of them, yeah. I looked around for the guy that had the duffel bag full of tapes, and I couldn't find him. He wasn't praying. I thought, man, you know, of all people, he needed to be up there with us. <laughs> but what I didn't know is he went to the dorm instead of the altar, and he crushed all those tapes and threw them away. And the next night, he was saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. So needless to say, it changed everything. Usually on the bus ride back, it was a it was a big shampoo, whatever, whatever liquids or, you know, to toothpaste was left over from camp. Right. It was just a free-for-all on the bus ride back right miserable for the bus driver but when we got on that bus on friday night leaving mountain view i don't re i don't remember anything until we got to st louis we had a holy ghost shout down it, the kids were shouting when we pulled off the grounds of the bus and we shouted and prayed for the next three and a half hours it, it was unbelievable wow what a church changing experience oh 
It was unbelievable. I do remember kind of the last thing here is when I got back to the church that next Sunday, I'll never forget Sunday morning, Sunday school time. It just so happened it was my turn to read the passage for the Sunday school lesson that day. It just sticks out in my mind so vividly because I had gone from the class clown and the smart aleck of the class and the troublemaker of the class. Yes. When Brother Brian asked me to read, I don't remember the passage, but I do know that I read that passage like Alexander Scurvy. I mean, it was <laughs> as good as I could do. Yes. And Brother Brian, just with tears flowing down his face, he, you know, it was like he saw Jesus like Thomas. He said, my Lord and my God, yeah. you know, he saw Christ in me. He saw Christ in me. And I realized that that change was not something I had done. Right. It was salvation. It was Christ in me, the hope of glory. You know, to make a long story short, fast forward a couple of years, I got called into the ministry, which is not something that I'd ever entertained the thought of. And, you know, I saw a post here a couple of days ago that kind of troubled me. It was talking about how if your dad's not a preacher, and, and, you know, you don't come from a well-known family in the holiness movement that, you know, you'll not be used. And, and I just reject that completely because my family, you know, I love my mom and dad. They're great people, but my dad's not a minister. You know, it's not about who your family is. Right. It's about Christ being in your life. That's what makes the difference. You know, to come to 2022 and pastoring now in Alabama for 16 or 17 years, whatever it is, looking back, all I can say is that God has worked in my life. It's yes, not been has. anything I've done. It's been the hand of God. And I'm thankful for the testimony that He has given me. I know you are, Brother John, and there are several things as you were telling that, and I've never heard the depth of your testimony, but several things that stand out to me. One of those is... Who out there is listening that is a youth leader that's frustrated because you're having no effect and you give great hope because after a year of trial and frustration and thinking you're not going to get through, and ultimately we have no power in our own, but it takes God intervening and he did and he will do that as well. That's awesome. Well, if if not for... The Heisels, I don't feel that I would be here today. God used them. And yes, youth pastor, youth pastor's wife, I'm aware that sometimes that is a that is a struggling field. You feel like you're doing everything you can and you're just not breaking through. But had they given up just one month shy of that youth camp? And we tried to get them to leave because yeah. we didn't we didn't want what they offered. But had they given up, so many of us that are in the ministry today and, and have families that serve in, in different capacities, we wouldn't be here. And so, yes, you're right. Be encouraged. As you're, as you're talking here, my mind goes back to our own youth camp that you were preaching. You preached the night services, and I felt a special anointing there in the night services. But there was also, to me, a passion in your voice for young people that I heard first when I first met you in 2012. And I think we're getting a picture of why that is the case, not just in your preaching, but in, in the altars as well. I'm a product of youth ministry and youth camp. And, you know, any, anybody that feels like that, that a focused youth ministry is not important. I, I can't agree. I, I not at all because if not for that type of ministry, I don't feel I would be here. Very, very likely. 
Well, now, as you've said, you've been pastoring now for 16 years. Is that right? 16 to 17 years? Yeah, I'd have to count it up. But yeah, 16, maybe going on 17, I believe, is where we're at. That's great. Same same church here in nowhere, Alabama. We, we traveled and evangelized for a few years. One of my very favorite things about being an evangelist was I got to go around and you know, when you're at, at another pastor's church, I, I sat under a great pastor, my dad, you know, I saw the way he dealt with people. A lot of the way that I deal with people is a direct result of how I saw him dealing with people. But one of the things that I loved about evangelizing is you see the different things that pastors do that works at their church and not everything that they do will work in the next church, but uh, you know, it's neat to me to have different ideas. I'm a cabinet maker by trade, and one of the guys that uh, first trained me, he told me, he said, if you will work for me and learn all that I have to offer, then you get an opportunity to go work for another carpenter. They may have ideas that I've never thought of, and then you put those two ideas together, then you know twice as much as what I do. And then you go work for a third man, and and on and on and on, you you gain knowledge by watching other people work. That's kind of the way I viewed pastoring. And uh, I love to hear of the different things that pastors do that work at their church. And so I'm sure as at the beginning of the year, we often do, you you probably have some ideas or something that you're working on. Do you care to share some of that? Uh, no, absolutely. I'm happy to. Um, yeah, currently, probably the most pressing thing is our February family month. And that's uh, that's a big part of our calendar year ministry at the church. I mean, we've done this 15 plus years, I would say. I mean, soon after I became pastor, uh, the first family month that we did, it was basically just a, a week of revival. I remember very well, Brother Doug Webb came down and preached that revival. And, and I can still remember a very, very impactful message he preached on home security. Wow. Yeah, it was powerful. And so since then, there are some years that it's not as intense as other years, but uh, I, I think this year is going to be, I, I want to really focus on the family. It'd be a great ministry name, but um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what we normally do during family month is, especially on our Tuesday night midweek service, we'll bring local pastors in and they'll they'll preach on family issues. I don't give specific topics in most cases. I do sometimes if I feel like a, a pastor in particular is well-versed in a, in a topic. I mean, I may ask him to deal with that, but uh, and so we do that, and then we try to have a revival, and the preacher is expected to deal with family issues as much as possible. You know, the reason we do this now, not every church would even need to do a dedicated month on family issues because some pastors do really well throughout the year dealing with family issues, and they incorporate that throughout their calendar year of preaching, and that's great. We don't do that very well, and and so we try to focus one particular month that we really deal with family issues because statistics aside, I mean, just looking at Grace Fellowship, I know of personal situations where we have several families dealing with divorce. Right. We have several children dealing with abandonment that come to our church. Yes. Uh, 
every home has marital issues to work through at times, sure. if, if, every marriage. Um, and all congregations that have people sitting on the pews, unless it's just you and, and empty pews, if you have people, you have people that are dealing with trauma. Amen. And we have kids that are dealing with abuse and it's never mentioned. It's never talked about, you know, I don't think every issue needs to be dealt with from the pulpit. I understand that, but I also feel that if we don't deal with it as pastors, they're going to look elsewhere for the answers and they're not going to find the right answer outside of the word of God. Amen. And so, you know, that's what it is. That's what we do. Uh, I feel that the Bible is the greatest tool for fixing broken homes and broken marriages sure. and broken relationships. And, and I'm really excited about family month this year. So that's what we're, that's what we're gearing up for. So I wasn't totally clear with what you were saying in regards to the Tuesday nights. So you take Tuesday nights in the month of February and use local pastors to deal with specific family issues. That's correct. And then it wraps up to a revival toward the end of the month. That is correct. Yes. And Sometimes uh, the Tuesday night is not a local pastor. It's just a family issue. Um, I'm just thinking back through the years. I mean, it, it can be any number of family-related issues that are dealt with, and sometimes even on our Sunday services, but but especially the Tuesday night midweek and then the revival at the end of the meeting. And I encourage our families to pray together in the altars during that revival. We don't always do that. You know how, right. I mean, and it's fine. I mean, we separate men and women, but I think during that one week, it's good for families to join one another in the altar. What a great idea. And also, I think it's outstanding that you're concentrating a month toward that. And I think you are hitting a nerve that needs to be hit. I certainly just listening to you talk about it. It, it challenges my heart. The other thing that i think about too is i know as a pastor it's so so easy for people to get used to your voice listen to what you have to say on sunday morning sunday night sometimes teaching a sunday school class when it's your voice all the time it's it's very nice for a congregation to hear someone else come in and nail down some of the things that you may have already been teaching that is so true you know, also, a lot of times we think that people will just know, you know, somehow we think that they're just going to figure it out. I mean, hey, it's in the Bible. The last half of the book of Ephesians is dedicated to family type issues. And but that's our job as pastors, as shepherds, is to lead those people into that grazing ground. Again, I, I don't think a family, a month long family month is necessary for every church. but. It is for me because I feel like that I don't do a good enough job throughout the year incorporating those issues. And if you do, then wonderful. But it it allows me as a pastor to kind of say, hey, this is going to be the focus. And I've I've got to deal with these issues because it is family month. And I have seen a great harvest from from this over the years. And I I feel like our church is stronger for it. That was going to be my next question. Can you share... I mean, with leaving names out of it, but can you share some experiences that have taken place through family month? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we have families that are on our pews right now, as, as I said, that have dealt with trauma. That is a touchy subject. That's an issue that, that many of us are uncomfortable dealing with. 
you know, we have had situations where people have said, I have sat on a church pew all of my life and I would never feel comfortable dealing with some of the hurts and the pains. I mean, when you're talking about abuse and and child abuse in particular, there are scars that people carry that they don't ever talk about and it's never addressed. And so it, it just gets layer upon layer of scar tissue spiritually, if you will. Yes. And those people, that's an area of their life that they need ministered to and they need ministered specifically. I mean, I don't want to necessarily get into forgiving an abuser or anything right here. There, There's a lot of dynamics that go into play on that. And you have to be so careful than just issuing a blanket statement saying, you know, forgive and forget and move on. There, There's more involved in that. Right. And, but just bringing up the issue has allowed some of our folks to get healing and, you know, without betraying confidence or anything, or even getting within a hundred miles of that, let me just say it like this. If you have a married person in your church who suffered abuse in their younger years, but it was suppressed, it was, it was covered up. Right. Unfortunately, that does happen. Then that person, they don't feel like they can be everything they need to be in their marriage. They don't feel like they can be open and transparent with their spouse. And and I feel like that's one of the number one problems in families is communication or lack thereof. Sure. But just being able to to talk about those things and get those things out there and be, and be 100% with your spouse. And we encourage things like that during family month. It has changed lives and, and it has allowed an authenticity that is really, it's refreshing it's encouraging to other people in the church to to allow God to deal with them and change their life. And I got to be careful because I, I can't sure I, I can't betray any type of confidence or I would never sure. want any of my people to think, hey, I'm going to use you as a sermon illustration. Absolutely. But I have seen directly, I have seen directly healing in these areas of, of trauma and abuse that is just so encouraging. That is tremendous. I really appreciate you sharing that with uh, our audience because, you know, we try to cover all aspects of church uh, things here on the podcast. And I have prayed over, especially over the holidays when I'm trying to look toward this year, you know, this, this is, um, we do a lot of humor and comedy on here, but this is a, and a part of my ministry that I love. It's a great outlet but I have prayed that the conversations that we would have in 2022 would be conversations that really matter. And I know what we do on a weekly basis, you say, you know, it's some people's cup of tea. That's, that's great. And it's some people, they don't care anything about it. And that's just fine. You don't have to stay here and listen, but I wanted, you know, the meat of what we have to say to really count. And certainly I feel like what you're, you're talking to us about today is very vital to the health of a church. And certainly the church is only as strong as the families are. And I really do appreciate you sharing that part. Hey, absolutely. You know, it's, as as you just said, and I think that statement, it, it sounds cliche, but we need to keep that in our hearts as pastors. Our congregation is only as strong as the families that make up our congregations. You know, if you've got a, a teenage girl or a teenage boy sitting in, in 
the congregation and, you know, they're hearing pray through. That's the answer to everything. And, you know, they're struggling because they've prayed and they're still dealing with with things. I mean, even something like bullying. And I think that came up in youth camp this past year. Yes. I have dealt with teenagers, even in our congregation, who have been suicidal because of bullying. And this is something that so outside the box of, of what we would normally talk about. Yes. But how many young people are sitting there on the pew wishing, man, I, I wish I could talk to my pastor or my youth pastor about this issue. It's the biggest thing in their life. Yes. And, you know, especially nowadays, and I think you were the one that actually dealt with this at youth camp, but when we have young people that are being bullied online, that's a whole new level that we didn't deal with. It is. And and it's the kind of stuff like that that comes up in family month that needs to be dealt with. You know, again, the the answer pray through is great and and it's effective. You can pray through about things, but why do we have all of these verses in the New Testament? Paul dealt with the family and he dealt with issues like this because he knew that we needed to deal with these family issues. Amen. And and so that's why we do it. That's why we do it. Well, we've identified something today that that could be a weakness in a lot of our churches. I certainly feel challenged by the conversation today. So let's talk now to someone who may be wanting to reach out and hasn't. Tell me what the first avenue would be for whoever that may be. I would say your pastor or pastor's wife, depending on if you're a boy or a girl, hopefully you receive the right response. In most cases, I think you would. There may be some rare instances, and it this would be across denominal lines. It doesn't matter. But there are some that maybe are not willing to deal with some issues or, or not um, qualified, I guess, you know. But in most cases, that's your that's going to be your safest option is go to your pastor, your pastor's wife, and just be honest. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what's happening you know, the the young person in particular that was dealing with bullying didn't talk to anybody. He was ashamed because, you know, he felt like that it, it made him look weak. And uh, it wasn't until a school counselor got involved and said, hey, this this kid's dealing with suicidal ideation here and, and there needs to be some intervention somehow. You know, it, there should be an open channel for our young people to come. And, and if you got a, a youth pastor, that that is a great opportunity. And so if you do have a youth pastor, maybe you could start there, I guess. I, I should have said that first. That's why they're there. Hopefully that that deals with the issue enough to where you can you can find direction and, and get some help. But you've got to you've got to bring somebody else in. You cannot deal with, with things like that on your own. You've got to have some help. Right. Well I certainly uh like I said, I certainly appreciate you being willing to talk about uh, this issue in particular. And here again, I hear the passion in your voice, but you've had years of experience now to uh, show you exactly what it'll do for your church to deal with some of these issues. And I think it's very you know, necessary to note as well that it's not something that you talk about 52 weeks out of the year or deal with 52 weeks out of the year. I believe that every ministry should be well-rounded, but certainly to the people that are hurting uh, there has to be a time and a place that they, they can find help through God and God's people, pointing them in the right direction. Exactly. 
I want to say again, I just want to make sure that this is well understood. If your church doesn't have a month long family month, that's fine. Right. Uh, many, many pastors don't don't preach on family issues from the pulpit uh, so much because they they do very well in private counseling. Yes. And that's fine, too. Sure. That's fine, too. The thing is, these issues need to be uh, dealt with and there needs to be an opportunity and an availability for people to bring these issues in. So, you know, that's, and I've heard you preach enough. I know that you're the type of pastor that is more than willing to deal with these kind of issues. And, um, you know, I'm sure your church benefits from your willingness to deal with, with those subjects. Well, I certainly want to be that kind of pastor and for anybody out there that is listening that needs to know the uh, pattern to go by, do you mind to give them your number? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> totally. I've got some numbers I could give them. But. There you go. <laughs> oh, man, too often I uh, I sit in this position. I'm like, how in the world, God, did you see anything in me to put me right here? I'm not big enough. I'm not. I'm not mature enough. I don't know how to deal with this, but we all we all have to have the help of the Lord. That's not a bad feeling because it allows you to depend on the Spirit of God and, yes, and sir. the grace of God to do that work that you can't do. You cannot fix a broken marriage. Right. As a pastor, you, you cannot unscramble the egg. And that happens a lot uh, when you have people that come to you you feel that pressure as as their pastor. You want to fix them. You want right. to bind up their brokenness. But at the end of the day, and this is something I've learned the hard way, I cannot be anybody's savior. I cannot be their redeemer. I cannot be their healer. I can only direct them in the yes. right direction. And that's the main thing. If you can get people to Christ. He is all of those things that we're insufficient to be. Yes, he is. Well, I've enjoyed our conversation about all of this, and I want you to come back on the podcast sometime. I want, before you, before we wrap this up, I want you to tell us something that maybe Herschel, the listener, as we affectionately call him Herschel, tell our audience something that they may not know about John Isaacs. Oh man, something they may not know. Um, I love bluegrass, but I don't know if that, I don't, that, that's probably a big major turnoff for most <laughs> of your younger listening audience. I, I guess one of the biggest things in my, my daughter's always telling me this, her friends think I'm just so serious and, and, you know, don't have a big sense of humor. One guy did tell me I had a sense of humor, like a dial tone, <laughs> but you know, oh, what I, a I don't comparison. mean to come off that way. Yeah. yeah. I like to have fun. I like to joke. And um, I guess that's probably the biggest thing is is I'm more fun than I look, I guess. <laughs> there you and go. That serious look on my face is probably <laughs> just the natural way I look all the time. <laughs> right. But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not as dry as I appear, I guess. But. <laughs> I've always enjoyed visiting with you, and today has been no exception to that. I uh, also understand that there may be some fans down there close to you of Podden Me. Absolutely. Yeah, my daughters, uh, of course, my oldest daughter, Elena, I think she listens. She's married now and lives in Georgia. But Olivia and Anna Kate, my two youngest daughters. And then uh, we have uh, one of my daughter's friends, Addie Morgan. She's an avid listener. So uh, I might get in trouble if I don't 
give them a shout out. Well, please tell me one thing. Are they above the six to nine demographic that we've been accused of trying to shoot toward the six to nine year old? According to their birthday, they probably are. But sometimes (laughs) if you saw the way they act, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I understand. I understand. Well, shout out to them and we're glad they're listening. So we've got what, three listeners at least. So we're still doing pretty good here in 2022, I guess. Hey, brother John, thank you so much for coming today. We have absolutely benefited. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Come back sometime. Will do. Have a great day. You too. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear and want to show support, hit the support link in the description below.